Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Using the authority Congress granted the Department of Education, we will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans. In addition, students who come from low-income families, which allowed them to qualify to receive a Pell Grant, will have their debt reduced to $20,000. The Republican Party is certainly not throwing a ticker tape parade over this. And in fact, uh, they seem bullish yeah. on this, uh, the utility of this uh, as a political cudgel. Uh, I will quote Tom Cotton. Yep. There is no such thing as student loan forgiveness. This is a bailout paid for the large majority of Americans who never went to college or who responsibly paid off their debts. There is nothing the Republican Party loves more than a culture, a culture war. And they see this as right. right. Um, this is, a, you know, we know that education is the dividing line in American politics. It's what really separates the Republican Party from the Democratic Party. And Republicans are going to make hay of this and say, this is another handout to the liberal elitist base. Here it is, the dog days of summer, but the midterm elections are less than 75 days away. Joe Biden is already out on the campaign trail, touting his recent accomplishments and turning up the heat on what he's now calling extreme MAGA Republicans. President Biden speaking at a campaign rally in the D.C. suburbs of Rockville, Maryland. He also attended a fundraiser where he told donors, quote, what we're seeing now is the beginning or the death knell of an extreme MAGA philosophy. It's not just Trump, he said. It's the entire philosophy. It's like semi-fascism. That's right, Joe used the fucking F word, or the semi-F word. But it is a signal that the president isn't pussyfooting around anymore. He's here to save democracy and get some significant things done for the American people. My friends, we offer a starkly different version and vision of this country, a vision of a better America. That's within our reach, that's within our hands if we just vote. And it's about time that Joe Biden flexes a little because he's had some of the best few weeks in presidential history. Now Trump, on the other hand, is having some of the worst few weeks in former presidential history, being accused of stiffing his truth social vendors to the tune of 1.6 million bucks. And it's just the cherry on top of a crime spree that spans seven decades. But this all might just end over some stolen documents that he squirreled away at his beloved Mar-a-Lago. The 38-page affidavit, as you can see, nearly half of it has been redacted. Those redactions by the DOJ and approved by U.S. Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt are designed to protect the integrity of the ongoing investigation by not disclosing highly sensitive information about witnesses and other grand jury material. But what is now public tells a damning story about the former twice impeached president, who, by the way, is the one who originally called for the affidavit to be released, trying to play chicken with the DOJ before they called his bluff. Friday, a newly unsealed 38-page affidavit was released, but it's so heavily redacted that it doesn't quite provide a roadmap of the Department of Justice's case against Trump. But I will tell you what it does do. It gives us enough clues to know that it was his refusal to return classified documents to the National Archives that brought the FBI to his door. Trump wasn't the victim of some political hit job. He's the victim of his own criminality. And guess what? Even former presidents aren't above the law. And here's why this time he'll be indicted. First, 
Trump was in unauthorized possession of national defense information, namely properly marked classified documents. Number two, he was put on notice by the U.S. government that he was not permitted to retain those documents at Mar-a-Lago. And three, he continued to maintain possession of the documents and allegedly undertook efforts to conceal them in different places throughout the property until the FBI finally executed a search warrant earlier this month. The fact that for 18 months these documents have been sitting around uh, Mar-a-Lago, who knows where they've, they've gone. They include human intelligence, human sources, very, very dangerous stuff. What do you make of the idea that a prosecution of the president will further polarize an entirely polarized country, but that at some point someone's got to draw a line about about these kinds of dangers? Sure. I think that what we need to show is that no one is above the law. And I think that Americans get that. Now, I'm trying to lay this out for you as simply as possible because the news is all over the place. But here's the deal. Trump claims the documents belong to him. First of all, they don't. He's no longer authorized to possess the classified documents in question. He did not declassify the documents or even put them in a secure location. In fact, there were documents just scattered around Trump's heavily trafficked golf resort. I mean, just willy-nilly. But some of those documents were marked top secret, and if they got into the wrong hands, missions could be compromised. People could be killed. This is the sort of stuff that keeps spies up at night, wondering if the former president of the United States might compromise their position because he wants to impress a pretty girl or a wealthy donor or Putin. When the USA's in trouble, just look to your favorite couple. You know it's Putin and the Ritz. Trump has always been a national security risk, never given a shit about the rule of law. But he spent over a year and a half withholding the documents from the National Archives, using bullshit excuses and hack lawyers to stall. Even arch-conservative Karl Rove wondered aloud, and on Fox News no less, why it took so damn long for the DOJ to finally swoop in and retrieve these classified documents. But the impression in, in, in the affidavit is that they asked for them multiple times and in January were given material back. They again begin to ask, the federal government begins to ask the former president for return of anything else he has there, and they know there's their material there. I mean, they go on June 3rd and view the box boxes of material. They have a general sense of how many boxes are there. So, you know, maybe we ought to ask the government, how many times did you ask for the return of the material? And President Trump has said several times, all they had to do was ask. Well, my sense is they were asking for a year and a half. And now, when so many of Trump's former allies are quietly skulking away from the cold, hard facts of the Mar-a-Lago raid, it's good to know he's still got Mick Mulvaney on his side. You mentioned the uh, the, the claim of privilege, and so, excuse me, of declassification. That's never made any sense to me. Um, that I don't remember that ever being even discussed when I was in the White House. And it would be stunning to me um, that anybody really thought that they could just sort of wave a magic wand on the way out the door and declassify stuff. I'll do a deep dive on this case with Norm Eisen in a moment. But here's some news highlights from the week that you may have missed. On Friday, the Federal Reserve held their annual economic symposium in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where Fed Chair and keynote speaker Jay Powell delivered a blow that sent the market into a tizzy. 
Powell confirmed that the central bank isn't about to back off its fight against rapid inflation. And the Dow quickly dropped over a thousand points. Powell acknowledged that the economy is slowing, and in terms of rate hikes, he only said another unusually large increase could be appropriate. And then he added, we must keep at it until the job is done. That comes as news that the housing market is slowing down and that rents are going up, but on the bright side, it's unlikely that the U.S. will head into a full-blown recession anytime soon. And Bill Barr is finally being lambasted for his mishandling of the Mueller case. And you all know, I think Bill Barr is just a fucking asshole. Moments ago, the Justice Department released a secret 2019 memo. It was written by Bill Barr's two top deputies, Stephen Engel and Ed O'Connor. Callahan. Bill Barr used this memo, held secret until moments ago, to justify his decision to not charge Donald Trump with the crimes of obstruction of justice outlined in the 23-month-long investigation led by Robert Mueller and his team from the Mueller probe. And for the memo written for him that argued that Trump should not be charged with obstruction of justice for his attempts to shut down the Russia probe, I mean, despite his firing of former FBI director James Comey, proof that he urged witnesses not to flip, and the promise of pardons for those who stayed quiet. The memo simply whitewashes the facts to justify Barr's predetermined decision not to prosecute. Trump and his allies politicized the DOJ and got away with countless crimes. But in the case of the Barr memo, Andrew Weissman, a 20-year veteran of the DOJ who worked on the Mueller investigation, says the reasoning behind the memo seems to be that you can't be charged with obstruction in a case that you successfully obstructed. I mean, Weissman concludes that future defendants will have a fucking field day with this memo unless the DOJ repudiates it soon. That's a fancy way of saying that the DOJ better shut the shit down or live with the consequences. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day. Now to Georgia, where the Fulton County court system has been very busy of late. And the case against Trump's 2020 election meddling scheme is being heard by many judges. But the person running the show is indomitable Fannie Willis. So prosecutorial fearlessness and determination is a beautiful thing. And yes, I'm talking about Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. Because she has been setting up and knocking down these privileged, sniveling little men. You can almost hear Republicans quake at the sound of her name. Fannie Willis, Fannie Willis, Fannie Willis. And why? Because she won't stop until she gets what she came for. Now Rudy Colludi Giuliani is now a target in that case. And not just as a witness, the guy testified for six hours under oath. Lindsey Graham is still trying to fend off the same fate. Why is a senator from South Carolina calling the Secretary of State in Georgia anyway? Uh, because uh, the future of the country hangs in the balance. But the 12 fake electors trying to have Fannie Willis thrown off of their election fraud case have failed. Now, they accused Willis of political bias, but another judge in the case said it is a public investigation into possible electoral wrongdoing. 
This process is inherently political in the simple and unremarkable sense that politicians and leaders of a specific political party are alleged to have undertaken efforts to defeat the will of the Georgia electorate. In short, the crime is inherently political because politicians committed it. I think it's a choice actually between um, integrity and corruption, good and bad. I think it's a, a classic fight. Um, and I think that citizens will have to make a choice. And a prosecutor who pursues such a case is not automatically biased or partisan and not subject to disqualification. It is not a legal, ethical, or even a sensical requirement that the prosecutor share the political affiliation of the defendant. All Fannie Willis has to be is good at her job. And prosecutorial bravery and fearlessness and determination to get to the bottom of Donald Trump's crimes is a beautiful thing. And now for the main event. Today we are honored to welcome back our learned friend, my friend, Norm Eisen. There's pretty much nothing going on in politics today that he doesn't have an opinion about. His latest book, Overcoming Trumpery, is a great read, especially as we gear up for the midterms and watch Republican candidates try to mimic Trumpian tactics to get elected. Eisen is a CNN legal analyst and the founder and executive chair of States United Democracy Center, a nonpartisan organization advancing free, fair, and secure elections. Eisen served as special counsel to President Barack Obama on ethics and government reform. And in that role, he was dubbed Mr. No and the Ethics Czar because he's well known for his tough anti-corruption approach to governance. Eisen is also active with the Brookings Institute and other groups working to expose the myriad of ways Trump and his cronies broke the law and attempted to overturn the 2020 election. From exposing Trump's potential crimes in Georgia to suing the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, Eisen is a witness to history. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Norm, the 38 pages of the unsealed affidavit regarding the DOJ search and seizure at Mar-a-Lardo are deeply redacted. But we now know that some of the documents held at Mar-a-Lago were critical to national security. Now, I saw Twitter posts claiming Trump's a spy, that he was sharing intelligence about the, you know, the French elections with Russia. Everyone is going to speculate. But you actually might know the true answers. What do you suspect some of these documents contained? Well, Michael, you've honed in on uh, the, the, the key paragraph of this affidavit. Uh, and um, uh, that's why I like coming back on mea culpa with you. You get right to the heart of the matter. And in this case, it's paragraph 47. And it's not long, but it's not redacted either and it's 12 of the most damning lines ever written about an american president that when trump finally after fighting with the government for a year when he finally sent back 
those 15 boxes of documents. And it was mingled with like his Big Mac wrappers and things, right? But co-mingled with newspaper clippings. And so he was treating our nation's most sensitive, important, and dangerous secrets like trash, Michael. Uh, 184 unique documents bearing classification markings. 67 were marked as confidential. 92 secret, 25 top secret. And they had secure controls. Michael, when I was ambassador and I had got these kinds of documents, I had the highest security clearance. I was so careful. You know what? I wouldn't read them sitting down because I didn't want to make a mistake. And that was in a controlled facility. Um, we, you had human intelligence about our, 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 our sources, our human intelligence sources. Um, you had documents that were so sensitive, they couldn't be shared with any foreign entities. And we know everybody, these documents were basically in a room, an unsecured room at Mar-a-Lago. You had documents that are what, called, what are called ORCON, only the originator of those documents. The person who creates them is authorized to declassify them so um, or to share them. So these are the deepest secrets we have. What do I think that these secrets contained? I think they contain matters of life or death, Michael. If these documents, these kinds of documents get out, not only are our foreign intelligence sources put their lives at risk, programs, we use them to keep America safe, Michael, and our allies, okay? So if you blow these sources, you're putting American lives at risk in the United States and around the world. That's what I think they contain. And Donald Trump treated them like trash. Yeah. So one of the things that I see on television, and this is a heavily, heavily redacted document. I mean, I think of the 38 pages is more than... 25 of those pages are fully blacked out. And I have a little bit of a problem with that. Now, I get it. You know, we want to ensure that the FBI, that the DOJ are capable of doing their job and to investigate this. But I also have a problem with the fact that if Trump, you know, doesn't want to keep it confidential... I could understand removing names and and sources, but there's got to be something. In it. There's a reason why paragraph 47 is completely unredacted. It is scathing. It is damning, as you said. What I would like to know is exactly what rooms the boxes were taken from. And there's a reason why. See, most of the people that you see talking on television, they don't know Mar-a-Lago from a hole in the wall. They've never been there. Yeah, you do. I sure do. And that's what I'm going to share with you, my dear friend, Mr. Ambassador. All right. I understand that some of these documents, some of the classified documents, I don't know whether it's the confidential ones, the secret ones, or the top secret ones, some of them were up in what they claim was the 45 office, right? You know where the 45 office is located? It's located up above the catering, the catering hall, which is a new structure that he built off to the side. That is an absolutely open space. It is an area that 
It's basically a staircase that goes upstairs. Uh, I know people that stay in the rooms next door, you know, to that specific office. Um, they're generally friends of the president, but nevertheless, they are not authorized individuals to have access to this information. And that also includes how about staff that would come in to clean? How about it would be if the freaking toilet wasn't working because he shoved more papers down there as he did in the White House? So who knows who had a chance to see these documents? And I stand firm when I say that he was using these documents for nefarious purpose. I do believe that there's that there is no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that he intended on using these in order to blackmail the United States government. If, in fact, that they continue with indictments and potential incarceration, that he would use these documents and threaten the national security of this country. Because, listen, Norm, you and I have had this conversation many times. He doesn't care about anyone or anything other than this country. And since he lost the election... He's prepared to burn the whole fucking country down in order to protect himself. Well, Michael, what do you think is in there then? I should ask you. What do I think are in the documents? Well, look, you would know yeah. you would know this actually better than I. What documents are generally marked as top secret? They have to be obvious information that is national security related. I mean, it's certainly not his pants size or the length on his hem. Right. I mean, I have that information. He's, That's not. Top let me secret. tell you something. I OK, let me tell you then. I had access to material of this kind uh, when I was ambassador in Prague. By the way, can I tell you how many journalists I know I've told you this because there was this made up story that you were in yeah. Prague. How many journalists called me? Every major journalism organization called me to ask if I could help verify whether or not you were in Prague. When I was ambassador in Prague, had access to this kind of information. And Michael, it's so sensitive. Of course, I can't talk about what I saw that you can't even imagine the kinds of things that uh, um, are in there. So the truth is we don't know and it may never come out. Now, part of the reason Norm, that the Norm, government Norm, I'm is sorry, not Norm, making- I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. It's not supposed to come out. It's marked top secret. It's yeah, not meant for true. me. It's not meant for my listeners of mea culpa in order to know what the top secret documents are. But all we can do is speculate. Could you imagine if it's locations of nuclear facilities or it's something to do with Saudi Arabia or Iran or North Korea? Yeah, I mean, this is we could all speculate on what it is. All I know is that the classification of top secret, 25 of those documents, could you imagine if even one of those documents got into the hands of our adversaries? I, and, and, but it's not one. Here, there were 184 unique documents, and then we know there were another 11 data sets. So that's 195. You know what that is, Michael? That's 195 bullets that are aimed right at the heart of American national security interests and and the American people. That is so dangerous. It's not one. It's not 10. It's 195. I shudder to think what might be in those documents. I think that's why I think paragraph 47 
is one of, it's short, but it's one of the worst revelations ever made about an American president. It's worse than Watergate, and Watergate was bad enough. Yeah, I totally agree. And let's not forget, a lot of people aren't talking about this. So as you're going to continue to do television, let's never forget that in 2019, there was a Chinese female by the name of Yujing Zhang, who managed to somehow get into Mar-a-Lago. She had a thumb drive with malware. She certainly wasn't there, right, in order to enjoy a Mar-a-Lago burger and ice cream, right? She was there for nefarious <laughs> purpose, all right? What if, hypothetically, she managed to get her hands on any one of these documents? What if, hypothetically, she got her hands on all of the documents? Could you imagine what we're talking about here? It's not, you know, this is no, no, uh, it sounds like a, a hypothetical question that we got on our law school exams, Michael. But as you point out, it's real life. The documents were there and at least for one foreign agent was there. Michael, yes. she was clumsy. What if a more effective one got through? You know that the uh, uh, the layout of that place, once you get inside the court and you mistake yourself for a guest, what if a foreign agent joined Mar-a-Lago? Wait, wait, wait. You don't even, what if a you don't member even have to. Mar-a-Lago gets right, well, it's, If you're a member of Mar-a-Lago and you're having an event, an affair, or what have you, what if you hypothetically invite one of these people or they manage to get in, as this lady did, you know, claiming that she was there for an event or what have you, there is no security stationed in front of the staircase to get up to that specific area. And once you're up there, there's nobody walking around up there. It's you by yourself. It is an unsecured location. By the way, then he goes on with this bullshit about, oh, well, the basement, they put on an extra lock. Oh, my God, they put on a master lock. Could you imagine Right. All you need, all you need is a hammer. You give it one or two zetses, right? And the thing comes apart into pieces. Michael, by the time they put the lock on there, it was already June. It was already summer of 2022. We know that from this affidavit. These documents had been exposed. You know, the affidavit's full of little nuggets. It says moving trucks were at Mar-a-Lago on January 18th. These documents might have been moved to Mar-a-Lago before Trump, some of them, before Trump left the White House, right? So they were there for a year and a half. That lock is worthless. Yeah, worthless. How about the fact, let's just continue with the possibilities. So you put all of these boxes into a moving truck. Is it a private moving truck? Is it a government moving truck? Is it, you know, this isn't like a, you know, um, a Brinks truck or anything like that that gets locked. The, the boxes weren't locked. They were probably taped up. It's not for. This is, this is insane. It's not. Yeah. Trump likely, uh, the White House likely contracted with commercial movers or government movers, but it's not the way you transport these documents. Michael, they're so sensitive. It's like a James Bond movie. If these documents ever leave the safe where they're kept, they're put in a, in a special uh, container and uh, it's locked and, in, and, and secured by the person. I mean, you don't, 
you know, I used to see people caring from the Pentagon, from the CIA when they were coming over. I was became friendly with the Obama's presidential daily briefer. I mean, the level of danger, risk that is exposed here, including because of the spy who was caught, the possible ones who weren't, <laughs> that just the fact of it, the unite, you don't understand what happens when you have an exposure like this, you have to reevaluate each of the secret programs and sources. Michael, this has led to probably uh, countless 195 of these doc documents or document sets. Who knows the 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 damage that has been done? How about just reevaluating? Right, how about Donald and and his uh, acolytes coming out and talking about like Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani? I mean, I thought Rudy looked like a total asshole when he was at that Four Seasons landscaping with the shit running down the side of his head. But I want you to hear this for a second. NPR did a story in 2019. And they wanted to know how this Chinese woman, this Ms. Zhang, how she even got into Mar-a-Lago, the secure place that Donald was, you know, holding these top secret documents as a custodian for the United States government. Ready? So they asked and said, she came to Mar-a-Lago, the president's private club, and said that she wanted to use the pool. And kind of implied that she was a relative of a member of Mar-a-Lago <laughs> with a similar or the same surname and kind of got into the reception area that way. Could you, You're not talking about getting into Fort Knox. You're not talking about getting into a skiff at the, you know, in Congress or in the White House or something like that. You're talking no. about a club that has hundreds and hundreds of members. You're talking about people who work there who legitimately don't give a shit. They don't want to fight with the members too because each and every one of them are extremely wealthy and if you piss them off, then they go straight to Donald and it's a problem. So everybody's trying to be somewhat hands-off other than, of course, trying to bring a gun in because they do have a metal detector since you know he became the Republican nominee. But short of that, she implied that she was a relative of a member and they let her in. Mind you, again, what's right next to the pool? That specific catering facility that has the stairwell that goes up to the president's office. That's how ridiculous the statements that Rudy and others are making are. It's it's actually it's worse than ridiculous. It's it's absolute stupidity and I think it's treasonous. But let me ask you this question, because I'm hearing pundits and members of the GOP now trying to play down the importance of the documents that were in Trump's possession. And that's, of course, according to the unsealed affidavit, right, that, uh, you know, we're talking about these 180, well, I should say now the redacted uh, affidavit with the 184 classified documents, you know, again, top secret yeah. and so on. What do you say to the folks that are calling the seizure of these documents a witch hunt? Um, that goes to the larger question, Michael, of the decision to uh, unseal this affidavit. You know, it's extremely unusual, even with all the redactions you point out, to unseal an affidavit of this kind. Uh, it's um, dangerous because the investigation could be compromised or the witnesses or agents investigators could be exposed to risk, but you kind of have to do it 
here. And the judge struck a very careful balance. You have to do it because Trump and his cronies and, and his defenders, including some in the mainstream of the party, Michael, they said this was wrongful. We need to rebut that for the sake of uh, the credibility of our DOJ, of the FBI, and of our justice system. And boy, this affidavit does it even with redactions. We've just been talking about paragraph 47 and the risk. There's a lot of other information in here. So even with redactions, I think it serves an important purpose, and I hope it'll shut those people up. Okay, so look, one of the things that the affidavit also points out is that it was more than one person that provided the FBI with information in terms of the location and the type of documents that were still in Trump's possession. That's how I at least read this incredibly redacted document. You agree with that, that it was more than one person? Uh, I do agree with that, yes. I, I, I totally believe that as well. So then you have, let's say, more than one person who provides the information. You and I usually agree. We, we do. We do. Since that first time, I since I first time I met it's you, it's true. It was such a. I always like to, <laughs> always like to, always like to to talk about. It was like ah, uh, it was like the closing scene of Casablanca. <laughs> that this when uh, with Bogart and Reigns. Because, okay. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. You pissed off so many of my friends. Oh, my God, those journalists you fought with over the years. You know, you had some detractors in Congress, some who appreciated you. The late Elijah Cummings was one of your great fans. But some people who thought, ah, you know, that guy, we can't build the case around him. And I didn't know what to expect. And do you know what I found? Friends who are listening, it's very like what you get on the podcast unfiltered, unexpurgated, mea culpa. He said, look, I know what I did. I want to make it right. Now, that was before Trump took his final revenge, tried to and throw you back in jail. That was the worst, Michael. I can't yep. wait for your new book well, it's, exposing it's, that Trump and Barr. Right. We got to talk about and we're going and today. we're going to and hundred percent we're going to. But my, my point right, was so we have more than one person now that provides. We'll come back to the right point. that that provided this information. That was a commercial uh, commercial <laughs> break for our for our friendship. Now we'll return to our regular schedule. That's program. right. So you have these two or more individuals that provide the information, and these Republicans continue to bellow this word, this witch hunt, this Trumpian word, right? At the, en at yeah. the end of the yeah. day, it's not a witch hunt. It's not made up. You know how we know it's made up? Because the affidavit and the documents that are listed in what was taken in the seizure documents. I think you meant to say, you know how we know it's not made up. Correct. You know how we know it's not made right. up. Right. Okay. It's not made up because they have the documents. And now we see how many were classified, top secret, confidential, the whole nine yards. So their, their allegations that this is made up, that this is a witch hunt, it falls right into their face. But it doesn't matter to them. Norm, they don't give a shit. All they keep doing is witch hunt, attack on Trump, violation of his Fourth Amendment rights, unreasonable search and seizure. The notion that there's a lawyer out there that be willing to take on a Fourth Amendment violation claim by Trump against the U.S. government 
when we now know exactly what he had in his possession, which he was not supposed to have, clearly, it's not unreasonable. The judge did a good job. This magistrate, Reinhardt, did a great job. And while I would like to see less redaction, because I'm curious, right, like everybody else, this is, this was a, this was a very well-organized and executed plan in order to get these documents back. No doubt about it. And, you know, I know you're curious, but I also know you care about our country. Don't be too curious because that additional information will be really dangerous. You know, this week we talked a lot about this Bill Barr memo not to prosecute Trump and how the DOJ, and I said to people, uh, the DOJ said, oh, Trump was just uh, providing his opinions about whether or not people uh, uh, might testify. I say, you tell that to Michael Cohen. I actually wrote that on Slate. Hmm. I have an op-ed up on Slate. You tell that to Michael Cohen. He felt the hammer, the full weight of the most powerful man in the world coming down on him and on his family. Okay? So um, that's why that will happen to anyone whose name. That's why we have these redactions. And I think it's very important, Michael, that we maintain them. Yeah, but look, you also brought up the issue of the credibility of the DOJ and the FBI. Now, I separate the two out because the FBI is just the enforcement, right? When they get a subpoena um, or a warrant to go execute upon, that's what they do. And if this group of 20 or 30 agents elects that they're not going to do it. Maybe they're all Trump supporters and they're not going to do it. That's okay. There's 10 other groups of 25 that are willing to execute and do their job. So I keep the FBI sort of out of it. They're not making decisions. All they're doing is what they're told. But the credibility of the DOJ, you're right, Norm, is in question. And I have an issue with the DOJ. You know, one of the things I talk about in this in this book, Revenge, that's coming out. Um, it's available now for pre-order. Um, you could even read the forward on the website, revenge-thebook.com. But one of the things that I talk about, we filed FOIA requests. This is like two years ago about the unconstitutional remand of me back to prison because I refused to waive my constitutional right, my First Amendment right, and I published disloyal. They come back and they say that there are zero documents that meet the FOIA request. So I bring in this guy, Mark Zaid, and everybody knows Mark, right? I mean, he's been yeah, doing this. he's my lawyer yes, too. Yes, he's amazing. And so do you know how many documents after he got involved it was determined meet the FOIA request? 484,000 no. documents. So we went from zero to almost a half a million documents. So when you talk about the credibility of the DOJ, do you know they were supposed to send me documents on August 22nd? You think I got any documents? No. What we got was several letters stating that they have to send the documents now to other agencies. They're going to have to review it to see what else would be redacted so that it doesn't interfere with their methods and process. My case is over, is, right? That's, that case is long gone. Okay, you don't want to put in an agent's name? No problem. I understand that. But the fact that they refuse to provide any of the documents and they're only willing to give 500 documents a month. I'm going to have to live 90 years 
more than I am now in order to get all my documents. So then they say, why don't you reduce it? And so you'll read this in the book with tremendous specificity. Why don't you reduce it? And so we did that. We reduced it. Now it's only 47,000 documents. So it'll only take me nine years. That's assuming that they actually even follow a schedule instead of giving me the dump of all of the documents. It's in, that's why there's a credibility issue of the DOJ. Because the DOJ, as far as I'm concerned, when you have somebody like a Bill Barr, they're corrupt. And this DOJ right now, under Merrick Garland, they're not un trying to undo what Bill Barr, the damage Bill Barr did. They'd rather keep the integrity of the DOJ, even at the expense of somebody like myself who wants to, you know, I want to do like what Ray Donovan did under the Reagan administration. I want to turn around and say, what does a person have to do to get their reputation back? But I can't get the documents from them. And so maybe I'll get it from my lawsuit against Bill Barr and Trump and the U.S. government. Somewhere along the line, I'm not going to stop fighting. And that's really what revenge does. It gives you a forensic walkthrough. So when we're talking about credibility of the DOJ, people have the right to question them because they're not on the up and up. Too many of them are really not. They're worried more about themselves uh, and the institution than they are about individual rights. I had a um, taste of this this week, Michael, with, um, with uh, the organization that I was an original co-founder of, CREW, my former colleagues at CREW. I'm still uh, friendly with them. Um, they fought for years to get the memo uh, that Barr used to justify not prosecuting Trump. And the current DOJ, just like the Barr DOJ, well, would not turn over that memo. And the courts ordered it. And to Garland's credit, he did finally turn it over. He didn't fight it up to the Supreme Court. He didn't try to go on bonk to the whole D.C. Circuit. He, he stopped the appeals. He turned the memo over. And do you know what we learned when we saw that memo, and I wrote about oh, this yeah. in an op-ed for Slate, we learned that Barr was even more corrupt than we thought. That memo is a hodgepodge of false statements about the law and the facts. It, it doesn't even hold, it's, it's generous to call it tissue paper thin, generous. And um, I filed a bar complaint against the former attorney general previously for his uh, distortions of the Mueller report. Don't take my word for it, Michael. Two courts, uh, multiple courts, actually, yep. in the um, uh, have said one Democratic judge, one one Republican appointed have said, hey, he was not honest in how he handled his decision-making and descriptions in and around in connection with the Mueller report. And boy, after we got that memo, but you had to fight so hard for just one memo. So I do think it was a few bad apples, 
that you dealt with, starting with Bill Barr. There's a lot of good people in the DOJ and the FBI, and they're proving it and how they're going after Trump now. Yeah, but well, I am prove it, very prove it by sending me prove it by sending me my documents, like like you're required to. If anybody can get you those documents, Mark Zaid can get you those documents. How come I know all your lawyers? I don't know because you, Mark Zaid is your lawyer. Because you know, you know, ev- you know everyone. Danya Perry, the best. Danya Perry was yep. your lawyer on that incredibly unjust reincarceration was so outrageous and i write with her all the time you have good taste in lawyers michael well thank you so let me ask you this then norm don't republicans respect national security anymore or is it just fear of trump's reprisal that keeps them from defending these agencies i mean There's really no excuse, particularly if you're an elected official, for not being on the side of justice. No, there's uh, there's uh, there's no excuse for it. But, Michael, um, you know, we both know we both know uh, that um, people, elected officials are not created equal. And some of them are great disappointment to us. Look, Trump was the worst, right? He probably was the worst president uh, in American history. I think that he was already near the bottom, and these revelations have only uh, have only um, cratered uh, his reputation. But it will get worse from here because we've only seen the beginning when it comes to Donald Trump and these officials who have been defending him they are going to be in trouble as well. Well, yes, but let's not forget also, there was a recent Reuters Ipsos poll that came out. Despite all of this, 53, this goes back to the credibility of the DOJ, because one thing that Trump is, and it is inarguable, he is a communicator of bullshit extraordinaire. This guy makes people hate the DOJ. Why? So I have my issue with the DOJ, but maybe a thousand other people didn't. So instead of having a denominator of, let's say, 999 didn't, right? I'm the one guy that did. So instead of having a a denominator of a thousand and showing it one over a thousand says, you know, good, he makes the one into the denominator. And so therefore, it becomes 100% against the DOJ. And then he just repeats it. And he has his acolytes and these members of Congress, like the Matt Gates, the Ted Cruz's, the Mark Meadows, the Jim Jordans, the whole group of them. They just repeat this bullshit over and over and over again. And then ultimately, people believe it to be the truth, that the DOJ is absolutely 100%. Everybody in it are all corrupt. Well, that's why we had to get the affidavit out. Right. right? That's exactly correct. But look, you and I have talked about this a lot. Trump should already be in jail. He should be in jail for witness tampering, for obstruction of justice, things that you were looking into when you were with the Senate Judiciary with Jerry Nadler uh, as one of the, you know, as one of the lawyers. Nevertheless, he manages yet again to escape. And it's like the guy doesn't have nine lives. It's like he has a hundred lives. Yeah. We know that we yeah. could we know we could have gotten him on the tax evasion, bank fraud, wire fraud, all of this stuff that they ended up yeah. charging me with, which by the way, again in revenge you're gonna read, just not true. And it goes to show you the power that they have in order to force you to do things. 
But one of the things that we know, and you've talked about this both on television and you've written about it, Trump was not entitled to take government documents. Am I correct about that? Okay. And are you kidding me? Well, that was a rhetorical question. And because Trump (laughs) didn't want to leave the White House, we can imagine that his move was pretty disorganized. Now, they say there were top secret files that are mixed in with letters and other general media shit that he was keeping, right? The love letters from Kim Jong-un and Putin and other. So whose job is it to get all that stuff sorted out and back to the National Archive? And more importantly, at the end of the day, does that responsibility land on Trump's shoulders alone? Can he and will he be prosecuted for this? It's a um, profound question because you've seen uh, so many times um, how he's dodged responsibility. I mean... I have to tell you, I've never seen anything like it. Maybe you can shed some light on it. He's kind of he's kind of a genius of evading responsibility, Michael. It's his it's his single greatest talent. He may he might be the greatest at evading accountability and consequences uh, alive today. He's like a Houdini. (laughs) But I think maybe. I think maybe a criminal Houdini, but I think maybe uh, this is the one uh, that that gets him because, uh, you know, what comes to mind actually is uh, the um, the final scene of the movie Little Caesar uh, with Eddie Robinson, the great gangster actor Edward G. Robinson. And he says, uh, mother of mercy, could this be the end of Rico? Remember that scene? And I I find that 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 was the first thing that came to mind when I heard that the FBI had executed a search warrant. So I've been doing practicing criminal law for more than three decades. And let me tell you, it is not a good sign when the government executes a search warrant, right? It often presages charges. Uh, And, you know, uh, uh, as you well know, uh, and um, not always, but I thought, I thought, mother of mercy, could this be the end of Donald? And so if I were to guess, yes, I think he's going to get charged. Oh, I think um, he has to get charged, Norm. I think he has to. Could you imagine? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sadly, there's no has to. There, in my opinion. There's no yeah. has to, Mike. Well, this is one time you and I are going to disagree. Could you imagine if the DOJ does not indict? All of a sudden, they're going to turn around, and it's just going to empower Trump again with the witch hunt nonsense and everything thereafter, that they never should have done any of this, empowering his, you know, his followers to think that this is a government conspiracy after probably 50 lawyers looked at that affidavit all sitting around a table bigger than the conference room of Google and turning around and, you know, and going through commas and periods and capitals and words and you name it. I mean, if they don't indict on to this, this is a real this is a real serious problem for the Democrats. Michael, I've known Merrick Garland for 30 years. He's not going to consider the problems for the Democrats. He's going to consider, is there a case 
Is there proof of a case? Is there are the federal standards of prosecution met? Um, and he's going to make a choice. It looks to me like there's a case here. I think the likelihood is um, uh, I think the likelihood is um, that um, that he is charged. How could yes, he? Right, how could he not that. be charged? So. He took he took classified documents and he put it into a storage facility or Michael, into an office. How could he right. not be? How could he not be charged for the Mueller how report? How could he there not be charged with obstruction, of, obstruction of, justice, of justice? Exactly, and witness how tampering and tax evasion. And how could he not be charged with campaign yes, how finance could he not violations? Be charged in New York, right? Exactly. You're right. You're right, Norm. You know, you, are you right. did the right thing. You stood up. You you stood up and and. And, and, you know, you stood up and you you admitted what had happened that was wrong. You took your punishment. How come individual one who was involved with you was not charged? So you see what I'm saying? Yeah. The guy is he's he's a uh, you know, he's a criminal mastermind. Yes, that is 100 uh, percent. He's not. It's amazing. He, ha- he He has some reptilian gift for avoiding accountability. He's we can see and you worked up close with him. I mean, he's no Einstein-like intellectual titan, <laughs> uh, but this is his gift. This is his yep, gift. Yep, that's his superpower for sure. So let me ask you this then. Next steps here. It's clear that there's an ongoing yes. investigation. Do you believe that the focus of that investigation is solely on Trump, or might there be more here? Like, a larger scheme in coordination with perhaps a foreign government or some group of people? I mean, is there any reason to believe that Trump didn't act alone here? I think the ones who are at the most risk, uh, this happened to you. It's what's so unique about our conversations. Like we both lived inside, in a sense, uh, you know, inside the Trump bubble, me going after him with those hundreds of different legal matters I opened, culminating in the first impeachment, you first working for him, defending him, then turning on him to do the right thing. It's what's so unique about talking to you. You know that Donald Trump is like a neutron bomb for lawyers. He leaves the building standing, but he wipes out legal careers and reputations. And so I think the lawyers are at risk here. And um, that's uh, Mr. Corcoran, who we saw in the affidavit, this ridiculous letter, crazy classification defense. There's limits to what you can say as a lawyer before you get in trouble and you start enabling your client. I think he's at risk. He might or might not be subject to investigation. Miss Bob is reported to have signed a document saying all the classified documents were turned over. Lo and behold, there were 11 more sets. So I think uh, I think they are probably at risk. Um, that's probably the most important. That's probably the greatest uh, risk beyond Trump is to the lawyers. Yeah, probably. Listen, and. Again, you don't even get paid. So, look, whatever Trump's motivations, criminal, sentimental, whatever they may be, why after being subpoenaed would he even keep these documents around? I mean, in all seriousness, the guy's like, um, you know, what do we call him, a luchum cup? He's got a hole in his head or something like that. He knows that they want the documents mm-hmm. back for almost, what they say, a year? A luxum. Uh, 
Right. Or you could call you could also call them a luxion cup, a noodle. Right. So could you luxion? So could you imagine instead instead of moving these to a secured location, returning them like he had the opportunity to do, he of course has to fight it. Why? Because they want it. Now maybe I'm being cynical. But is it possible that he wanted the DOJ to sweep Mar-a-Lago so that he could activate this MAGA mob in his own defense? Let me tell you why I say this. Let me tell you why I say this, Norm, because I know Donald. He's raising a million dollars a day on this. I mean, this raid, in all fairness, has been a cash cow for him. Do you think that this could boost his chances in 2024? A lot of people are saying that. And the rumor is, is that he wants to now announce his candidacy and soon. I still don't believe he's going to, but that's the rumor on the street. And further, can someone run for office while under indictment? Yes, they can run for office while under indictment. If he announces his... um, uh, candidacy in reaction to this. He'll be tanking his party. They're already facing headwinds in the midterms. He will absolutely uh, be tanking uh, his party, absolutely tanking them. So that's the only reason I think that he's holding back. He's going to make the midterms a referendum on Trump, and the American people are sick of Trump. Well, yes. Then let me ask you this. So you're a historian. I mean, I've sat with you and I'm always impressed by your knowledge of history. To your knowledge, have there ever been other presidents or high-ranking U.S. officials who have ever posed such a great risk to our national security and to the future of our democracy? The answer is no. Um, You know, we have seen some very bad uh, presidents, uh, over the history of our country, right? Um, But no one liked Donald Trump. And um, he's, and this is just, we already knew that. We already knew that. Um, And the, the one I, the one I would point to is John Tyler, who, uh, joined the Confederacy. So he actually attacked the United States after serving as the president of the United States. He was a terrible president, too, by the way. He was an accidental president um, when Harrison died. Um, so Tyler is the other one who comes to mind. You know, we've had presidents who threatened the country by doing bad things like Nixon, but they believed they were acting in our national interests. Donald Trump is the most dangerous president or ex-president we've ever had. You know, it's funny. I was talking to my father earlier today, and we engaged in a conversation about this exact topic. And one of the things my father reminded me was that George Washington was offered to be president for life. People were so impressed with his empathy and with the way that he handled the fight against the Brits that they wanted to make him president for life. Could you imagine... If Trump was ever offered a presidency for life, Washington said, I don't I'm not a king. And I we just fought in order to extricate ourselves from a king. That's not 
what I fought for, and that's not what this republic and our democracy is supposed no. to be predicated on. That just goes to show you the difference from history, right? From one to 45, just how things could change. Uh, he's no George Washington, that's for sure. <laughs> that is certainly for sure. So look, apparently, Norm, someone inside Mar-a-Lago told the government that the records were all over the place and not all locked in a secure storage room, which... To be honest with you, the more that I listen to pundits talk about it, the more I throw stuff at my television set. I don't care if it's in a secured um, storage room. I don't care if he built a freaking vault there. He's not supposed to have those documents. They don't belong to him. Now, that person or persons must have had to testify in order for a warrant to have been obtained. But considering all the treats that federal agents are getting from MAGA extremists, the lives of these whistleblowers is now on the line, right? So what, if anything, could be done to protect those people? Well, we took a very important step today with the um, having the affidavit redacted, and we all have to defend that. I've explained it in our conversation. Um, I don't think that person had to testify. I think that information about the informant is probably in the blacked out uh, affidavit. And uh, that can be uh, hearsay evidence is acceptable um, on a probable cause showing. So, um, uh, you know, we're taking the steps and we have to continue to take them uh, to defend uh, those lives that might be at risk. Okay. Um so they didn't. You don't think that they had to in a case like this where they're going to create a, a nope. warrant to raid the property, and that's another thing that always that seems to be irking me. I want people to stop calling it his home. That that was the home of Mar, uh, what's it, Marjorie Merriweather Post, right? Many many years ago, before Trump ended up buying it. But that is not his home. There are hundreds and hundreds of members who pay. $300,000 is a bond to be a member there, which, of course, is what makes it so dangerous when, like, that Chinese woman ended up just managing to get in onto the property. But, you know, one, one last thing, Norm. You also, you, we, when we were talking about Bill Barr, I have a real problem with Bill Barr. I mean, not just because of what happened to me, but just as, as a, a former attorney general, Bill Barr has not come forward. He has not disclosed anything that he did. And I believe that Bill Barr has an enormous amount of information that he should be turning over. And I don't know if it's to the January 6th committee or to the FBI or to the DOJ or to whomever that would place Donald Trump in jeopardy for something that we all know that he did wrong for a crime that he's committed I believe that Bill Barr could be the nail in the coffin, but this piece of shit just sits at his house in McLean, Virginia, and he has not come forward at all within which to discuss and to disclose. Why are they not calling him? Well, it's always difficult to tell in an investigation what is and is not happening, Michael. Uh, So we don't know what engagement there might have been, but I think... Everybody should remember Bill Barr is no hero. And we got a reminder of that with the release of his terrible, distorted non-prosecution memo for Trump on obstruction. We got a reminder of that 
Uh, the Justice Department that he oversaw reincarcerated you, tempted to reincarcerate you. That was an outrageous obstruction itself, just uh, outrageous abuse, I should say, itself. And Bill Barr is no hero, but whether he is or is not cooperating, he did cooperate with the January 6th committee. He rehabilitated himself partially. But this memo we got this week on uh, deciding not to prosecute Trump is a reminder. The other thing about Bill Barr, when one six, when the tough got go, uh, when when the going got tough, he cut and run. Yeah. Uh, the 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 he got going right out of town. So Bill Barr is no hero to me. Not just uh, uh, not just for one reason, but for many. Michael, thank you for having me back on the program, brother. Thanks, Norm. Always good to see you, my friend. And now for today's mea culpa. I'd like to follow up on something I talked about earlier this week. The negative impact that the anti-woke movement is having on education. And how governors in red states are attempting to dumb down and revise every subject to fit a Christian nationalist narrative. I even liken those responsible for undermining our children's education to the American Taliban. But let's discuss one specific perpetrator, Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile advertises itself as America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, and they are on a mission to control the Texas school boards. It's been only a year since Steve Bannon declared that conservatives needed to win seats on local school boards to save the nation. And the conspiracy-based MAGA-aligned Patriot Mobile has been systematically doing just that. This last August on a stage at CPAC, Patriot Mobile founder Glenn Story proudly announced that we went out and found 11 candidates last cycle. We supported them and we won every seat. We took over four school boards. I mean, the crowd erupted in applause. To begin with, funding for public education in Texas sucks. Governor Greg Abbott blames an unnamed nebulous government cabal for the problems in his school. But Texas has a shortage of teachers because the fucking state doesn't pay a living wage or offer benefits. No teacher worth a damn wants to work for nothing. This year, Patriot Mobile's Action Committee spent $600,000 on nonpartisan school board races in the Fort Worth suburbs. This spring, they blanketed the communities of Southlake, Keller, Grapevine, and Mansfield with thousands of political mailers, warning that sitting school board members were endangering students with critical race theory and other woke ideologies. Patriot Mobile presented its desired candidates as patriots who would keep political agendas out of the classroom. Now I call fucking bullshit on that because when you put students on the front line in the culture wars, you are doing the opposite. You are politicizing the classroom. And now, thanks to Patriot Mobile, books are being yanked off the shelves, including The Diary of Anne Frank and anything with gay themes. Signs were mandated in public schools in God We Trust, and last week, the Grapevine Collie School Board voted for new restrictions that will limit the rights of transgender and non-binary students and make it easier for parents to ban library books dealing with sexuality. 
Now, I will remind you that Patriot Mobile is a private, Christian-based company that is totally controlling these public school boards. In fact, they bought four school boards and now they are pulling the strings. Patriot Mobile's goal is to install school board members who will oppose the teaching of anything LGBTQ, fight to remove pornographic books, and stand against schools' anti-racism initiatives, which they argue will indoctrinate children with anti-white and anti-American views. So to be clear, this is the American Taliban in action. This is how they infiltrate our schools and influence our kids. Today, it's the local school boards in Texas. Tomorrow, who knows? But maybe it's time we start paying attention. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my-